1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, we're going to be talking about in a minute. In 1997, 1997, in fact, were you here May 25th of 1997? If you were, raise your hand. How do you know you were here? You didn't even check out your calendar. You may have been on vacation. I preached this sermon, and uh, I looked at it the other day, and I said, I got to do that again, man. That's been way too long. 97, 97, this is 2021. The title of the message tonight is La La Land. That's the title of it, La La Land. How many people live in La La Land? Well, there's a lot of them living in La La Land in 1997. And there's more have moved to La La Land since then. Uh, have you ever been to La La Land? Well, let me describe it for you. It's a warm, fuzzy place where all your dreams come true. It is where all your desires and wishes eventually happen and where almost nothing <coughs> works out badly. <clears throat> I'm going to get through all this throat stuff in a minute. It is where men and women meet in a field of wildflowers, above them shining, shines the sun like a baby, like a blue pillow. I think that means billow. Their eyes meet, immediately they run toward each other, embrace, marry, have children, build a house with a white picket fence, have grandchildren who love them and adore them and who are all serving the Lord in full-time Christian service. That is an imaginary place called La La Land, but it is on people's mind. Truth of the matter, <clears throat> that as born-again believers in this world, we are aliens. We are enemies of the God of this world. And we are in a desperate warfare, and we have real enemies that want to terminate us, uh, both within, within the old man I talked about earlier, and without, who are determined to see us fail and end miserably. I don't want to fail or end miserably. I appreciate that song, by the way. And you know what I appreciate about her singing? She gets it on. She gets it on. She don't, I'm talking about Jesus. Well, you're going to get up here and sing, aren't you? Let's talk about Jesus. The King of King is he. Sing it like he's here, man. <clears throat> That's as much as I'm going to sing for a while, probably. Nobody ever asked me to, so. The enemy is a cunning enemy we have. He's, he shrouds himself in beauty when he really is the opposite of it. He's crafty. He's powerful. He's a master of deception and misrepresentation, bold as a lion, knowledgeable, ancient, and we are really no match for him. Nobody in this room would be able to sit down across from the old evil one from the devil, from the serpent, and out-argue him, and out-gun him. He would tear you up. 
eat you alive. The only way you would even survive would be the Holy Ghost, which is a match for him, by the way, and more than a match. But that would be the only reason you would. It would not be by your own cunning ability or knowledge of Scripture. He knows the Bible. What did he do? How much more of an insult could it have been than, than quote the Bible to the Son of God? Who wrote it? I mean, he was he's so arrogant. He's a created being by God. And he quotes God's word back to him in a twisted form, trying to get him to do something wrong. That's what he did at the temptation of Matthew chapter 4. What Jesus do? He just answered him back with the true word of God. Word you got, the word you got. And that was a, too much of a match for him. He couldn't do it. And he couldn't couldn't compete against the Bible itself, word of God. So with this in mind, let me introduce you to some good advice of Scripture and the reasons ways to overcome the wicked one, the old flesh. I think it's important. I have read through the Bible a number of times, saw this over and over again, and we'll share a little bit of it with you tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, and 6 say this. Ye are all the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Now, you know what he's talking about. He's not talking about light. He's talking about good and bad here. You're children of God. You're children of righteousness. You're children of the blood. You're children of what's good through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not inherently, absolutely not, but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross and the resurrection. And so it makes me uncomfortable. Children of light are uncomfortable in the darkness. Does that make, you, make sense to you? Children of light, somebody told me today, I don't know who it was, said when they got saved, beer didn't taste good anymore. Beer didn't taste good anymore. Um, I know when I got right with God, my, my five buddies I grew up with wanted to take me out and do something, and I said, man, that just don't sound good. Now, it used to sound good, but it didn't sound good anymore. He just gave me a, a new heart. I became a child of the king, a child of the resurrection, a child of righteousness. The Bible says here, a child of the day, a child of the light, not of the night. And then in verse 6, and this is our text, he says, therefore, Anytime you see a therefore, you want to see why it's there. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. What's that say? There are some born-again believers that are asleep, that are underestimating their enemy, that are not preparing for the evil one. There's people not here tonight with no good reason not to be here. They don't feel the battle is on their doorstep. They don't feel necessarily going to church would make a difference in that battle, though the Bible says it does. They uh, and, and don't say, well, they're going to watch the service online. Online does not substitute going to a real physical body of believers where the Holy Ghost is collectively and hearing the Word of God preached. And I'm preaching that to you online, folks. Now, I don't mind you watching it online. 
We don't charge for it. But do not ever use the online to substitute or be an excuse to stay home and go to a pajama church. That's backslid church. Unless you have a physical infirmity and you can't make it. Now that's what it's for. The online is for people who can't make it to church. And we have some. We have people who cannot go and drive and can't make it. They're sick or whatever. That's what that's for. It is not for you. You feel a little lazy on Sunday and you don't want to get put your makeup on or do your hair or take a shower or get dressed, so you just stay in your pajamas and half listen half-heartedly to half the message. And then tell me, I watched you online. Now, I'm for you. I'm not against you, man. I'm for you. But be careful because we are in a hand-to-hand, life-and-death combat. We can't float. We can't be in la-la land. Don't live in the la-la land or you're going to be slaughtered like a pig. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. So what should we do? Well, let us watch and be sober. So the first thing, if you want to be an overcomer, is to be sober. And you go to a church that is what we call a teetotaling church. Uh, this is founded by the Rechabites, Gospel Baptists was founded by the Rechabites. If you know anything about the Bible, the Rechabites were the group of people that decided not to ever drink alcohol, ever. Not let it touch their lips, don't drink it. It was wicked. And their, their, their children and his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, kept the instruction of their grandfather, great-grandfather, and none of them drank wine. None of them would touch it. Jeremiah brought them in a room and set wine before them and said, drink of it. And they said, oh, no, our 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 father and grandfather told us that we don't drink any wine. We're not going to do it. And he says, it's interesting. He says, you've obeyed your father and, and done exactly what he wanted to do, but my children won't obey my voice. And he was talking about the rest of the children of Israel, how they had left God. It was an illustration, how they had left God and done what they wanted to do. He said, and because of that, he says, when the Babylonians come in, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save the Rechabites and the whole house of the Rechabites because you respected what your father, grandfather, great-grandfather taught. That's how much God cares about that stuff. Oh, that's good. Let us watch and be sober. The word sober, I, I bet it's just going to surprise you. In the, in the Greek, it means uh, simply to abstain from wine. That's, a, that's a, one of the main definitions of it, just to abstain from wine. You know, my mother was a wise woman. She said, you'll never, ever have to worry about being uh, your picture in the paper DUI, or you'll never have to worry about being drunk and saying stuff you shouldn't say or doing stuff you shouldn't do. 65% all crime is committed with people that are inebriated or partially inebriated. That was from the police, by the way, local. This is a policeman right here. And you take away alcohol from America, 65% of the crime down... Sober people don't do stupid stuff like that. Imagine what the domestic, domestic of, of picture would look differently without alcohol, without a guy getting drunk, or, or not drunk, but inebriated, just, just toasty, and saying stuff to his wife he shouldn't say, or looking at women the way he shouldn't look, or tuning into what he shouldn't tune into, because the alcohol 
lowers your defenses to that stuff. And so imagine, it says just be, it also means to be discreet. It can mean, but serious, means to be serious-minded of a sound mind. It's, it's got connotative meanings. A, a word has a denotative meaning, which is the normal use of it. And then it has these side meanings that often can be used in a contextual way called connotative meanings. And so <clears throat> the two main words <clears throat> translated, <coughs> excuse me, friend. Uh, COVID hangover, but at least I didn't have to get a vaccination. Anyway, so to abstain from wine, to be sound mind. In 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So I don't think there's any, there's any uh, uh, question, but the Bible tells us to be sober, be serious-minded. Uh, the word self-control comes to mind, reasonable thinking, soundness, saneness, serious-mindedness. The ninth fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That word temperance means to have self-control, to be under control. We had one of our deacons here. I saw his picture one day in the newspaper, DUI. One of the deacons, not the current deacon. But one of the deacons got drunk. I didn't even know he was drinking. He was a Philadelphia policeman. I told that in Sunday school. And he had a little drinking problem. We didn't even know it. And he got toasty and went out to get his tire changed and made a fool of himself to one of our church members, which happened to own a tire store. Tires, obviously, he called us, said, I think one of your deacons down here, he named him by name, says, I think he's drunk. So we went down there and got a hold of him and said, oh, brother, you go to a church, don't even believe in drinking at all. We're teetotalers. We're recobites here at the gospel. Man, you can't do that being a deacon. Uh, you need to get right about that. He repented, by the way, got in front of the whole body of believers, asked him forgive him for betrayal of trust, and he, he, he ended pretty good. But uh, that, old, that old thing will get a hold of you. But self-control is self-control. So I asked the question to you tonight, why be sober-minded? Well, I, I looked through the Bible, and I got a few answers to that. First of all, because the time is short. The time is short. Now, some of you, it's shorter than others. But the time is short. You say to me, Troy, he's 50 years old. Where's he at? Troy, you out in the hall? Pay attention out there. Uh my son's 50 years old. He probably thinks he's going to, he probably thinks I'm going to die ahead of him. Maybe he's hoping so. But down Corsica Road the other day was a guy coming 41 years old with three or four kids. I think he had four kids. He was a policeman who taught driving to the police company, you know, hard driving. He's going down Corsica Road, not paying attention. I don't know whether he was on his phone on doing, because I was 10 minutes ahead of him, and there was a, they had narrowed the road down to one lane, and they had, a, they had a, you know how they have that guy with a little sign there, it's not paying attention. That guy, that, the guy there, and they had the, the cones up, and they had the whole thing. It was all set up, you know? But he was running down the road, going too fast, not paying attention, don't know what he was doing, on the phone, texting, and all of a sudden, he looked up, and what had happened is the traffic was pretty heavy, and the cars had lined up quite a way back from the flagman where you couldn't see the cones or anything. It was just a line of cars. He looked up, saw the woman, took his wheel instead of going right, which would have been into the ditch, which would have probably saved him. 
He went left into a, into a cement truck. Did you make that call? A cement truck. Well, I bet that was a gruesome one. He went into a cement truck with a Jeep, four-door Jeep, head-on into that cement truck. Needless to say, he was dead on impact. And it hit him so hard that it literally drove his truck back about 30 feet. I mean, from going wherever he was doing, 50, 60 miles an hour, to driving it back. Imagine the impact of that stop. 41 years old. That morning he got up thinking everything was going to be good and, you know, 41 years old. What 41-year-old in this room thinks he's going to be dead tomorrow? <clears throat> the Bible says you should count your, count your, number your, teach us to number our days. Teach us. Now, so you don't know when you're going to go, do you? No. Somebody had Dr. Bailey's up there in, in the hills of uh, the Smokies, and he went to a graveyard with his family and looked at it, and he said, a lot of, lot of young people buried in that graveyard. A lot of young people were buried in that graveyard. Must have had a, he said must have had a plague or something go through there years ago. Young people die. Why should we be sober-minded? Because of the shortness of the time. Now, this brother is an EMS guy. You see stuff, all kinds of crazy stuff, accidents, young people, old people, riding a motorcycle, riding bicycles, it can happen, fall off a ladder, you know, I mean, slipping on ice, we get a lot of that in Florida. You know, an ice cube comes out of the maker, gets on the floor, you step on it, gone. That's about the closest you're going to get to slipping on ice in Florida. But for, let me read you some verses, First Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That was written 2,000 years ago. He said, time's short. Well, for him it was. In the big picture, it was. James 4.14 said, our life is like a vapor that appeared for a little time and vanished of the way. Uh, James 1.10 said, we're like a flower or grass. Uh, in, in, uh, in Isaiah 64.6, it says, we're like a leaf. We do fade as a leaf. 1 Peter 1.24 says we're like the flower of grass. I believe one good reason we need to be serious-minded is because you may not have much more time to live for God. Use the time you have while you got it, amen. That's some good advice. That's some good advice. Never get arrogant about time. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it's day, the night cometh, which when no man can work. I often will think of that verse. There's going to be a night when I can't work. There's going to be a day when I can't talk anymore. There's going to be a day when I can't pass a track out anymore. There's going to be a day when I can't talk about Jesus anymore. There's going to be a day. It has to come. There was a first day. There must be a last. So between here and there, I don't know when that day is going to be. Shortness of time. The Bible gives you a heads up. Man, I mean, it gives you a heads up. Every day is a gift from God. Use it for me while you got it. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil walketh around as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. You don't know that tomorrow a big test is going to come your way. Yeah. Well, we're to be sober. 
Why be sober? Shortness of time. Why be sober? Because we're at risk. Our adversary is out there wandering around. Here's what the Bible says. Matthew 7:15, beware of false prophets. Matthew 10:17, beware of men. Mark chapter 8, verse 15, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which by the way was hypocrisy. Uh, Philippians 3, 2 says, beware of dogs. I have been my whole life. It's not speaking of people there. Speaking, it says, goes on, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. Com- comparing those evil people as dogs. Colossians 2, 8 says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit and tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. 2 Peter 3.17, Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So it's something, so we have shortness of time. We've got a great risk. The third thing, you don't want to lose your reward. Why you don't go and live in la-la land is because you don't want to lose your reward. 2 John 1.8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but we receive a full reward. Now look, the Bible wouldn't tell you you could if, it, if you couldn't. It wouldn't make sense, right? That we lose not those things. How do we lose? While you're backslidden or while you're out of the will of God, you're missing opportunity God had planned for you. You lose reward. That's how you do it. I, I do a podcast about that, about about what happens when you're backslidden. What's the worst thing can happen to you while you're backslidden? Losing the time that you could have given to God. That's one of the worst things that can possibly happen while you're backslidden. And so uh, why, So the question would be then, why are, are some not sober-minded? Why do they run around not well? They're in la-la land, that's why. They don't have a spiritual reality. I'm trying to give you tonight a spiritual reality, a snapshot of what's going on around us. And maybe you already have it. I hope you do. But you won't get a sense of a spiritual reality without being in this book. There's no way to get the sense of it. You can't get it just for preaching. You got to get into this book yourself. This book needs to get into you. You get into this book, and this book will get into you, and it will change you. I can't tell you how many people through the years have been encouraged to read the Bible through. And they've come to me later and said, Bill, of all the things I received at the Gospel Baptist, the biggest thing of all was you encouraged me to read my Bible, and I read my Bible, and it's, and it's now I have to read it. I'm not comfortable without reading it. It's part of me. It's changed me. Now, I, I from my standpoint, look at those people and say, you're different than you used to be. You're better, more godly. There's a glow about you. I mean, it's just it's real. Um, you won't get, so what's the problem here? Well, you won't get a sense of spiritual reality in front of a TV. You really won't. You won't get a sense of spiritual reality staying out of church. You really won't. Uh, you have to make yourself available to the food that God's dishing up. Amen? There is a, have you ever, ever seen concentration camp pictures after World War II? Them poor souls. Churches are full of people that look like that, spiritually. Churches are full of people all over America that are concentration camp Christians. That'd be a good title. Concentration camp Christians. They are physically robust. Their eyes stand out for fatness. 
But if you look, if you can look past that to their spirit, it's it's all bones and skin hanging on bones, because they're just giving the spirit enough food to stay alive, but not to prosper. Are you giving your spirit enough food that the spirit can be strong and prosper, and the spirit can overcome the flesh? The the flesh needs to be the one that's like this, not the spirit. The spirit needs to go. So there's no, there's no sense of spiritual reality with those people in la-la land. There's no sense of spiritual urgency to people in la-la land. Uh, Romans 13, 12 says, The night's far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I talked about this a week or so ago, about <coughs> Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 10 through 18, the full armor of God. We must do it or we're gonna, we won't make it. Uh, so there's a sense of spiritual value. They don't, the people in La La Land, they don't have a sense of spiritual value. In other words, it's not valuable. Let me say this. You do what's valuable to you. In other words, you treat things. If something has value, you care about it. You take care of it. Normally. Uh, don't go to the exception. Go to the rule. The rule is, if you care about I care about my woman. I do, really. And I want to take care of her. I, I not mean, that does not mean I don't cause her to work. Work is good for you. I got my woman out cutting palmettos, mowing grass, weeding, five acres. She comes in soaking wet, sweaty, uh, fire ant bit, bug bit, uh, mosquito bit, and that's treating her good. Yeah. Pampering her would be damaging her. Yeah. I'm not talking about pampering somebody to where they get can't they can't go f- fill the tank, their own gas tank. I don't want my wife to be an invalid when I die. I want her to be better off. Do you get that? Amen. My wife can shoot. Don't you run away from her. She'll nail you. I took my wife out with a little two-inch barrel snub nose. Now, there's nothing more inaccurate in a weapon than a two-inch barrel snub nose. They're horrible. I said, well, you know, I know you're not going to hit this, but I threw a can out there about six, eight feet. And I said, you're not going to hit it, but see if you can hit it. She took that. Now, this was out in struggle. She took that snub nose and goes, boom, bounce the can. I go, luck. I said, shoot that again. She hits it the second time. The third time, I said, stop. Stop. You can only get worse. You can't get better than that. You're going to get worse. This, I find women oftentimes are very good at shooting, very accurate. And uh, so... I taught my woman to defend herself. If you love something, you treat it good. You love something, you prepare it for the storm that's coming. If you love somebody, you take care of it. Well, I, I think God, God loves us and we love him. And there's reasons why we need to be sober-minded. One of them is the soul's precious. How precious is one soul? 
is precious. The redemption of her soul is precious. It ceases forever. That's in uh, Psalm 49, 8. The soul's priceless, John 6, 63. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, also. So what does the Bible say about being sober-minded? Who should be sober-minded? Well, the Bible says pastors, deacons, pastors, deacons, their wives should be sober-minded in 1 Timothy 3, 2. Aged men and young, young men should be sober in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, and, and Titus 2, 6. Aged women and young women are, can, are told in the Bible to be sober in Titus 2, 3, and 4. So really the whole array of age and, and, and gender is told biblically, look, be sober-minded, be serious-minded. Do you have a plan for being a mature Christian? I bet you got a financial plan, some sort of financial plan to retire, some sort of financial plan to save, or some financial plan to pay your bills, or you, you make plans for the for the uh, for what you see. But how about your spiritual? Well, you're here tonight. A lot of you here tonight. You're making plans. You're investing in your spiritual life. Praise God for that. And and it'll God will grow it. God will grow it. It'll, it'll be serious with you. So. What does being sober mean? It does not mean go around with a sour face. Why, sometimes you ought to preach to groups of people. Sometimes people look so sour when you look at them, it's scary. Man, Chris, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, I mean, you look at some people, and they look flat out mad. They look like if you, if you in a moment, they're going to throw a gun out and shoot you. I'm not looking around anybody. But it's not, we're not to go around being sour faces. Sober doesn't mean sour. Sober does not mean you don't laugh. Sober does not mean that you're pseudo-serious. I remember meeting a few in college. You meet this pseudo-serious spiritual young man. He's like wants to be about 40 years older than he is, and he goes around, you know, and he's like pseudo, I call it, pseudo means false, false seriousness. He's like, the spiritual one, spiritual one. And so he's walking around playing the game. It doesn't mean that. But we're to wake up, sit up, watch diligently, purposefully while we pass through this short, short space of time called life. Are you sober-minded today? Or are you in la-la land? Father, we pray that you'd help us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take the message and what I could not do that you would do. Father, we, you know, I don't mean to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to hurt a soul, but I'm trying to wake up some folks. By the Holy Spirit of God and through the Bible, help us to be diligent. Help us to be vigilant and ready to go. Help us have our sword sharp our shields up, the armor of salvation on, that we may be able to make a difference in the war, the spiritual war all around us. Help us to meet somebody tomorrow and tell about Jesus and brag about the Savior who gave himself for us. Father, help us to pass some tracks out to people who, who, who wonder whether life's worth living. And maybe, by the grace of God, that little gospel track will save them through the gospel. Help us, Father, to be attentive about the person down the road that may be messed up. We could help them with the gospel. 
Just help us in every way and every direction. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.